I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Tom Bilyeu, and Tom is the co-founder of 2014 Inc. 500 company, Quest Nutrition. It's one of my favorite nutrition bars. It's a unicorn startup that's valued at over $1 billion. He's also the co-founder and host of Impact Theory. Tom's mission is to create an empowering media-based IP and is personally driven to help people develop their skills so that they will improve themselves in the world. Tom is intent to use commerce to address the dual pandemics of physical and mental malnutrition, and he regularly inspires audiences of entrepreneurs, change makers, thought leaders, and some of the most prestigious conferences and seminars all over the world. Really, really excited to have him on the show. He's been featured all over, but um, he has a very, very humble beginning, and he's always very, very gracious to his fans. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. I, you know, like I was saying before we started recording, I'm a big fan. I used to binge watch Inside Quest all the time and do the same now with Impact Theory. So it's just this is truly an honor. For those that don't know you, a lot of your story starts before Quest Nutrition. But I wanted you to start really with, with Quest because I remember listening to one of your interviews and you said something interesting. You said that Quest was a company born out of misery. And uh, yeah. very, very, very curious if you could talk about that. Yeah, man, for sure. So uh, before we did Quest, my partners and I had a technology company, and it really was three people just chasing money. And we were, you know, I mean, we were trying to build something good, but it wasn't like coming from a passion. It wasn't us thinking, okay, here's this customer and this massive problem that they need help overcoming and we're going to help them do that. And it's going to be all about value. It was really just about, okay, how do we market this in a clever way? How do we make sure that we maximize profits? And so there was no sense of connection to the customer. There was really not even a connection between the three of us. It was just like all about building this uh, business. And so it just really stopped being fun. And when people talk about, you know, oh, you need to follow your passion, there's really an evolutionary reason for that. And it comes down to, like anything, brain chemistry is the name of the game. And so how does nature incentivize you to have children? It makes sex really fun. (laughs) And it's this brain chemistry state. So how does nature ensure that you actually have the energy to accomplish your goals when you're chasing the right goal it's really fun and there's this immense rush of chemicals to the brain that make it you know feel wonderful so when you help somebody that feels wonderful and as a species we're wired for that and you know knowing that you're contributing to the group feels wonderful and building something that you're proud of feels good and gaining skills feels good so when you're doing all of these things and they work in concert and so you're gaining skills in an arena that serves people in an arena that you're excited about 
and you know that you're doing something of value for people, it all, excuse me, it all coalesces into um, feeling awesome. And so we'll shorthand that to passion. It's something that makes you feel alive. And when you have that and you hit a roadblock, like it's easy to push through. When you don't have that and you hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, <laughs> at some point it really, it really is, you know, people often refer to it as soul draining. Right, right. And so that's that's certainly where I was. And so I went to my partners and I said, look, I can't do this anymore. So I quit. Here's your equity back. Um, I just I need to be done with this. And I'm going to go pursue something that makes me feel alive. Mm. And they said, look, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. We feel the same. Um, let's build something that we really believe in, that we can be passionate about, that's going to add value. And so that ultimately became Quest Nutrition. And it, But it really was born from that moment of just not being able to do this anymore, not being able to um, just blindly chase money, that it really had to be something that to the core of our being, we were deeply passionate about. No, I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, a lot of what you say is you talk about the importance of looking at the world and saying, that's my problem to solve. So at that moment when you had given the equity and they said, no, we want to do this with you, how did you all sit down and say, we are going to solve uh, you know, metabolic nutrition, we're going to solve this nutrition problem, we're going to create a, a nutrition bar in a market that is very, very saturated? How did that become the idea that you all came up with? The the real answer is it was a long process and it was messy and there was no like, you know, one simple thing. But just to make it a tellable story, um, I'll say that, you know, for the three of us, it really was um, we were interested in it for three very different reasons. Mm. And for me, it was I grew up in a morbidly obese family and I really wanted to save my mom and my sister and help them be happy again. And so that was my primary focus. And then my business partner, Ron, um, is just, a, he's obsessively focused on nutrition and had been, even back when we were at the technology company, like that was like his thing. That's what he wanted to talk about. He was studying um, nutrition and human metabolism and was just really, really into it. And so it was like, wow, this could be the perfect marriage of he's going to be learning about this, researching it no matter what. All three of us are very interested in um, health and fitness from our own perspective. For me, it was, you know, wanting to escape the fate of so many people in my family. And then if, you know, I'm sure you've heard me talk about my obsession with living forever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, if that's really going to be something that you're going to even have to take seriously, um, if you're just not totally on point with your nutrition, it's just not going to happen. So that it was, you know, uh, a confluence of all these things coming together. And um, and then Ron's wife had been making protein bars at home that tasted awesome. And we thought, OK, well, what if we could commercialize these? And so that that became that first step. And it was never about making a protein bar. It was always about being a movement in food. And so, you know, right from the jump, we knew that this has got to be a lot more than just a protein bar. And so, yeah, that was the inception. And then, obviously, in the first three years, your company grew by, hold on, 57,000%, people. It grew by 57,000%. And when I'm hearing that, I'm just thinking about the gap that you've got to have between each year, first year, second year, second year, third year, to be actually listed as the second fastest growing private company in America. What was going through your mind when you when you started to see these numbers, especially because you had almost you'd basically quit a few a few uh, years ago? What just what was going through your mind? When you're growing that fast, the only thing going through your mind is what you need to do that day to like <laughs> move everything forward. And it really was like this is entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to be all the way in, and you know it's. I'm both encouraged and terrified by what I'll call the entrepreneurial movement, where now literally being an entrepreneur is super cool. And that was not the case when I was a kid. And so I love now that kids actually aspire to be entrepreneurs. They look up to entrepreneurs. You know, it's like we're living in an age where people will have posters of entrepreneurs on their wall. Mm. Uh, and I love that. I think it's amazing. But I think people really need to choose the path that suits their personality because I, I, um, I try to maximize every minute of my life to get the most potential actuated in that moment as humanly possible. So that, that is what drives me. 
So you could like if you left me alone on a desert island, I'm going to find some way to like try to maximize my potential. Right. So build like amazing sandcastles, build a ship out of trees to get me off the island, like whatever. I'm going to be spending that time. That's just that's what I love. I love doing that. Yeah. So if if you're like that and you want to be all in and you're um, not somebody who clamors for downtime, like I really like to to put my skills to the to use and I like to get new skills like I'm just I love that then entrepreneurship might be your bag but if you want to chill and you want a stress-free life which by the way there's nothing wrong with that it's all about knowing what suits your personality don't be an entrepreneur because that like you will get the exact opposite I mean, I think you just crushed someone's dreams right now. They're listening to you and you just said they shouldn't be an entrepreneur but it, um, what Tom is saying is, is, is very true because I think it comes down to the mindset I and mean, you're very big proponent you talk about mindset a lot in fact you talk about the difference between a growth mindset and fixed mindset and i think when you're hiring this is exactly what you look for so when you're aspiring to be this entrepreneur and and, and a leader in in a very rapidly disruptive industry especially in the digital age um, a lot of millennials and gen zers who are coming up now what is the danger of approaching entrepreneurship with a fixed mindset Oh, you just won't go anywhere. So, <laughs> I mean, that that's the, the truth. And that's almost universal. Like, you're not going to get where you want to go um, in life if you have a fixed mindset. And there's a very simple reason for that. The human mind, the way, like, in fact, the human brain, let's get very anatomical. The human brain, its job is to adapt to change. And there's an awesome quote by Darwin, and he's often misquoted as saying it's about the fittest of the species. He never said that. I've said like 100 years or something after he died. What he said was, it's not the strongest nor the most intelligent of the species that survive, but rather the most adaptive to change. And that is what the human mind is like the pinnacle of. We are the pinnacle of the, the ability to adapt. And that's why humans, you'll find them in every corner of the globe. I mean, for a brief moment, James Cameron was at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, for God's sakes. So humans literally can go everywhere, mountain peaks, the deepest valleys, hottest, coldest, um, because we know how to adapt. And we, we're using our brain far more than we're using our physical attributes. And the brain literally rewires. And, you know, so this was debated when I was a kid, like nobody really understood the plasticity of the brain and the brain's ability to rewire. Um, but it's, it's very real. And they've got all kinds of studies now showing how the brain adapts and rewires. And, you know, we're about to, to live through an age where more and more um, non-biological objects are implanted into the human mind in the way that we're going to be able to augment that and you know what David Eagleman is doing in terms of um, pushing human senses uh, so that we could you know say see an infrared or um, hear the stock market I mean it's just all kinds of really really fascinating things that are being done so understanding that the brain is an adaptation machine um, is, is critical and that's what a fixed mindset denies essentially and it, it's happening in some subconscious part of yourself you're not seeing like how much you could push and change your brain and gain new skills and get great at things even if you suck at them today and people are so ego protective that you know if something makes them feel insecure or makes them feel bad about themselves then they just avoid it rather than realizing if i push through that part where it makes me feel clumsy awkward whatever i could truly become world class at fill in the blank but they just don't push through that. They hit that and think, oh, my God, this is proof that I'm bad at it. I'm a bad person. And so they turn and run in the opposite direction. So what would you say then is the best way to gain mastery? Because it sounds to me like you're saying, you know, get that focus on something that you do and really master that skill set because that will actually benefit you in the long run. Yeah. So once you believe that you can get good at anything that you set your mind to, then it really is about disciplined practice. So are you putting in the work to get good? Because yes, in the beginning, you're going to be terrible. Yes, in the beginning, you're going to feel clumsy. You're going to look clumsy. People are going to laugh. Like all of those things are very real. So are you, do you have the mental fortitude to push through that? And if you do on the other side, if you're really disciplined about your practice, you can get great, you know, and if you think about, you know, somebody like Mozart, who's usually the example of, no, 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 some people are just born with it. It's like when he was born, just like you, he couldn't hold his own head up couldn't speak, couldn't play the piano, um, you know, 
pooped his pants. Like this is just the reality of the human condition. And then we learn how to do these things. And you know, one thing that's often overlooked about Mozart, his dad was not only a piano teacher, his dad was a piano teacher who specialized in teaching young kids. So Mozart started playing the piano at like age two. So it's, you know, when you think about that, by the time he's 12, when he's touring around Europe and blowing people's minds, he's already been playing for 10 years. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't people that are going to get what I call early wins, where, yeah, maybe Mozart really could just um, hear music better. Maybe he was able to remember music better. Maybe he just had a, um, a love for music that's more than most people. But he didn't become great because he had those innate things. He became great because he leveraged those innate things to encourage him to practice, to sit down at the piano. His dad said he would sit down at the piano even at the age of two for hours and hours and hours. So, And him becoming great is a result of the hours and hours and hours. And Tim Grover, who's Michael Jordan's coach, said, look, I've seen so many people that had obscene amounts of raw talent do nothing because they weren't willing to put in the work to practice. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, that, that just, you know, it's the testament to hard work. And I think a lot of people, they they have this idea of what they want to do and they have this idea of where they want to be, but they, they're not willing to do the work to get there. And that, and you, I think you've said this before, there's a gap between who people are and who they tell themselves that they, that they are, honestly. So, um, I think yeah, self-narrative is critical. Yeah. Execution comes... So, for those listening, if you've ever heard Tom Billy, you know that Tom thinks in movies, and one of those movies is, is The Matrix. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I've heard a speech of yours, Tom, where you haven't mentioned The Matrix in, in some form, of some shape or form. But for eight and a half years of your life, you said you were stuck in The Matrix. Could you explain that to the audience and, and tell the audience what you mean? By that. Yeah. So if, if you haven't seen the movie, The Matrix, it is um, basically imagine if the world that you were living in now is a computer simulation and one day you're woken up unplugged and the world is completely different. And now when you plug back into The Matrix, because you're aware that it's a simulation, um, you can begin to bend the rules. And what it makes really clear is the limitations that you've put on yourself are of your own making. And to me, one, it um, there are people that are taken very, very seriously when they say we actually are living in the matrix. Um, and I won't go into it because I'm not, I'm not convinced. But I don't need it to be real for the metaphor to be powerful. Yeah. And what it makes clear is that if you think of the matrix as a web of lies that you pull over your own eyes where you limit yourself, you tell yourself disempowering things like I'm stupid, I could never do that, I couldn't um, get good at math or I could never run that fast or whatever. That belief is the thing that stops you from putting in you know, the 10,000, 20,000 hours worth of practice to really get good at that. And so to me, getting out of the matrix is about going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, realizing that you can in fact do things like in the movie. So in the movie, um, Neo Jackson in the Matrix, and he um, downloads Kung Fu, and now he can fight Kung Fu. And he's practicing Kung Fu, and he's getting beaten up. And the guy that's beating him up says, you know, knowing that this is a computer simulation, do you really think that me being stronger or faster than you has anything to do with my muscles? And that's when Neo has this breakthrough and realizes he just believes of himself that he's not as good. And so once he says, okay, I really am this good, then he, just because he believes it, he starts being better. Now, I'm telling you, that is how it works in the real world. Like, believing in it is the first step. And so you just have to believe that you can do it. And that slight shift, it is so weird, that slight shift then tells your brain, oh, I guess I can do this. And so you push a little bit harder, you start getting a little bit better, you believe you can do even better, so then you practice and you get better and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the reverse is true as well. If you don't believe you can do it, you won't even take the first step and then it proves, look, see, I really can't do it. So it's, it really is just about developing a mindset that's empowering, about believing things that are empowering and then acting in accordance with that. I think it's interesting with the power of the mind and sometimes just how you can be become that self-fulfilling prophecy especially if you really convince yourself to 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 believe something but you as as a, as a person you, you've also you know you, you talked to in interviews about how you were 
I think it was this oxymoron adjective you said. You're like the the, the laziest, most the most ambitious, laziest person <laughs> anyone could meet. I think it was something like that. And and you you, you talked about the idea of having figure out having out to figure out um, having to figure out what the difference between framework happiness and monetary happiness was in that period of your life. Can you talk about what? being the most ambitious, laziest person is and what the difference between those two types of happiness really is. Yeah, for sure. So I really am lazy and I think um, <laughs> most people probably are. So there's this concept of the thrifty gene. Um, and, you know, why would humans, and uh, sorry, uh, thrifty gene is actually uh, something else, but you want to conserve calories is um, what I meant. So as a species, if food is really hard to get, it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to be running around being hyperactive because all of that exertion is burning calories, which means that you're going to need food more. So we actually need to put in the effort that's required, put in the effort that's needed if you're going to go and you know get that next um, meal. But then at the same time, you should also have the propensity to chill. So I maybe have a more... Uh, ingrained propensity to chill. So I'm always looking for the simplest way, the easiest way, or just to not do something. But at the same time, I have grand ambitions. So I want the the sum total of my life to have equaled something very, very big. And there are things that you know, I want to do that are very, very grand in scope. And that also is innate to the human animal to want to, um, you know, climb in importance within the social structure. Like we all have that drive to go into a novel environment, to master that environment, which makes sense if you think of us as, as animals that are constantly seeking out more resources. So you have these competing things of, okay, um, I want to, you know, go over the hill and be able to um, hunt and gather and get access to those resources. And I have the then the desire to just relax and chill. And finding a way to know when to push yourself so that you're not just always relaxing and chilling and making sure that you accomplish things is, is really the catch. And in a modern context, you don't have to hunt and forage. So now there's no, like, driver the you know the driver to eat is like to walk into the kitchen or to walk to the grocery store so it's it's no longer um this big thing that we have to do and so the laziness tends to kick in and really take over and we've now got things like video games which are amazing entertainment and you can just sit back and relax or movies which is very passive and so now you see like in society where laziness is no longer as dangerous as it used to be. And so people sort of race to um, just an equilibrium of mediocrity. And, but for people that have like this grand ambition, and I'll assume that, you know, virtually everybody listening to your podcast does, it it really becomes, okay, well, if I'm going to execute against that, I'm going to do something amazing, then I've got to find a way to push myself beyond laziness. And look, I could give you a whole hour speech about how to leverage laziness because, you know, as um, Bill Gates said, I always try to give the job to the laziest person in the room because they'll find the simple solution so that they don't have to keep doing the work. And I love that. And I think that actually is very powerful. Um, but we'll, we'll not derail on that. To answer the second part of your question about the two types of happiness, yeah. so there's framework happiness and momentary happiness. Momentary happiness is a bowl of ice cream, right? It is amazing. It tastes so good. And anybody that tells you that um, it doesn't certainly does not have my taste buds. So um, I think ice cream is awesome. But if you get into a world where all you do is eat ice cream to get you know the string of momentary happiness, A, it begins to diminish in its ability to actually be pleasurable. Um, so if you ate a bowl of ice cream every hour for the next, you know, say 72 hours, like it really does. It's called a hedonic set point. So it stops being as fun. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that the other type of happiness, framework happiness, is actually born out of discipline. So the easiest way to explain that is becoming something, being something, fills you with a sense of well-being. So um, feeding people at a soup kitchen will make you feel awesome. For sure, 100%, I promise you, like helping other people is just going to make you feel awesome. But standing there with a soup ladle 
and dishing this stuff out is in no way intrinsically pleasurable. So it is this moment of doing something that may be uninteresting or unenjoyable to get to this, I'm the type of person who helps somebody. And that's identity. And when you're playing with identity, so for me it's going to the gym. I don't like going to the gym. I don't enjoy the act at all. It's taking time away from me training my mind, which I actually do love in and of itself. It's physically painful. Um, you know, I'm doing it early in the morning. It's like there's a thousand reasons why I don't want to do it. But being a person who is disciplined enough to do that, being a person who has a physique that no one can give you, you have to earn it. Like that makes me feel good about myself. And those are things that nobody can take away. So that's real fulfillment. Mm. And understanding the difference between those two because they're both real. But you have to know which one to lean on and when. So I do things that are momentarily pleasurable, no question. But it's like I understand how to balance that to not really go hard down that path because it will stop being pleasurable. Um, and I can make a bowl of ice cream as amazing as Christmas Day because I never, ever allow myself to have it. So imagine that if on a random Saturday I was like, all right, man, you can go all in. Get yourself some Cold Stone. Go crazy. Like now the sudden be like, oh, like, this is amazing. <laughs> hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. And now I'm having a blast because I've denied myself that thing for so long. But all the while, I'm like, oh, man, I'm the kind of guy that stays lean because I can deny myself these things. I feel good about that. So that's my framework happiness. And then because I so rarely do it, when I allow myself that, it's, it's a big deal. Framework happiness, people. Framework happiness, people. Let, let's talk about your your media empire that you that you're building. So I, I remember this like yesterday. You know, like I'm 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 a 27 year old, and I I built a career. I've built a career around media to tell stories around uh, around culture, diversity, entrepreneurship, and and really embracing your identity. And it was born out of my. My uh, growing up as a, as a diplomatic kid in five countries and four continents and trying to find who I was in these areas. So as I was building this company uh, at a point last year, I had I'd reached this plateau to, uh, to speak where I had this audience and it, it was growing. But I knew there was a certain level that I could go uh, go beyond. I mean, last year was the year of of uh, Brexit, of, of, of a lot of you know, people disagreeing with each other and my skill set that I had been training for and mastering, if you will, so to speak, was helping people connect across cultures. But for some reason, I hit a wall where I couldn't have that confidence. I didn't have the confidence to to go beyond that and express that to the world. And I, I was stumbling across YouTube and I was, you know, and, and I came across an interview you did with, with Simon, Simon Sinek and then I was like, man, this guy's really good. I, I don't know how he does his intros. Is it like, God, that's like the most amazing thing. It's like an MC basically preparing for for the for the rap. So I went on, I watched that, and I watched your Grace Bonnie interview, and I watched your Steve Maxwell interview, and I just found myself watching seven hour long interviews, and I was like, I don't know who Tom Bilyeu is, but I've got it. I've got to research him. And then I researched him, and I saw you're like a co-founder. You're the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, and I was like, Wait a minute, how does Quest Nutrition? And, and I was one of the co-founders of Question have such a budding media empire. And what is the connective thread behind that? The one's a nutrition bar, and one's a media company. What's the connecting thread? Yeah, so that is very easy. To me, wellness is a 360-degree thing, and when I started Quest, it really was with the notion of helping my mom and my sister be happy. It wasn't about 
the the physical side. It was just understanding that to get to the mind, very powerful way to do that is through the body. And there's a mind-body connection. And so um, when we founded the company, it was really meant to be a platform company where the company itself would be able to morph and change and grow with our interests, right? Because it was born out of misery, so we never wanted to be trapped again. We wanted it to be something that would really allow us to pursue our deepest passions. And so I thought, okay, great. We'll do, you know, the core competency was obviously the food. And then over time, we're going to expand it and really begin to address the mindset and um, give back this um, gift that I had been given, which was to understand the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how many people could I really pull out of the matrix and help them understand that they're capable of so much more and that there's a very specific path you can march down to actually do more. And so um, I had kind of secretly hoped that we'd be able to do it in ways that didn't force me to step out front because I had no interest in that. Um, I was very content being the guy behind the scenes. Mm. And then it was just becoming clear that um, I could carve out one piece of, you know, the the universe of content that we were doing that I had a particular um talent that I had been building up, you know, over the last 20 years at this point to really get good at verbalizing, um, an idea. And so I thought, okay, well, one thing I can do because originally it started with, I wanted to do something great for our employees, which is why it was called inside quest. It was like, this is what it means to be inside quest. This is what it means to think like we think at quest and to be able to spread the culture and so I thought, all right, cool, we'll film this, we'll bring um, the employees in, they'll be the studio audience, it'll be a great way to reinforce the culture. And then it was like, well, wait a second, you know, we're a social first company, like we understand that if you're gonna be doing all this, you might as well put it out on YouTube and get more people involved. And so that's really how it started. And then when it became clear that it's really hard to get a brand to flex and encompass a whole new um, way for the consumer to see you, and that they really thought of us as a food company, and rightly so, and that's really what we were. I thought it's probably smarter rather than to try to expand the consumer's vision of that, to spin that out into a standalone studio, make it its own company, and just make it all about the mind. So if I'm gonna make this wellness 360 degrees, rather than try to do it in one company, I'll do it over two. And so that was why I ended up spinning it out, and why for me, it is, it's a logical, um, move it was always what i had intended to do yeah i mean you've you've essentially become you know um an, an oprah like uh, uh personality where you, you um invite people on to that studio of yours and they watch from all over the world and they feel like they're sitting on that couch next to you i think my favorite one so far that you've done has been the white clef jean episode i mean i thought that was probably the most dynamic in in, in the sense that he was he actually performed you know it was freestyling and, it, and you had a little rhyme there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, Tom, Tom, Tom's doing something. And then, um, but the, the ability that you've had to connect with, with the audiences that you had, you've had, uh, Michael Strand was, all, was my second favorite, with all these personalities and just make them feel like, like they can reveal something. I would love for you to share that, that, that um, what your superpower is essentially in doing that because it's not an easy thing to do to get these larger than life personalities. You're talking about Wyclef with the Fuji's and a Super Bowl winner with White, uh, with uh, Michael Strayon, but they come on the show and they they talk about about everything from the vulnerabilities to their biggest dreams, and it's like they're talking to the best friend. What would you say is your superpower to be able to to connect to people? Authentic appreciation, and then I I just research them to death. So most people, especially um, celebrities, they're so used to going to an interview where somebody hands them, you know, four or five notes about who that person is. And literally, as the person is sitting across from them, and they're fine tuning the lights, they're reading those notes. And then the interview starts. And you know, the person doesn't really know them doesn't know the project. Um, and, and so the questions become very surface and very repetitive. And so my thing was, I'm going to take a totally different approach, which was, I knew that nobody knew who I was. <laughs> and that if I was going to get, you know, these big names on the show, we had to be able to make a promise in the booking process, which is this will be the best interview you'll ever do. Hmm. And the only way to get to that is one, only invite people on for whom I have authentic appreciation for. And then two, I need to know more about them than their own mother. 
And that became my thing. So I'm picking up where all the other interviews that you've ever done have left off. So I know the loop that that person has where they get asked the same questions, they give the same answers. And so every interview is basically a repetition of the one that came before it. So I learn their loop, essentially memorize their loop so that I can then ask questions. There's a, a famous saying for lawyers, never ask a question to which you don't already know the answer. Hmm. So I, I know where they're going to go. Like I know their mindset so well that I can take them somewhere that A, they're going to appreciate because I know how they think about the issue and B, that'll deliver maximum value to the audience. Because I know like, okay, if you ask them that question, the answer is actually not very interesting. But if you ask them this question, A, their surface answer will be interesting and B, it'll have two or three follow on questions that nobody's ever asked them before. Yeah. Um, and just putting in the work, man, like putting in the work. And I am... Every bit of success that I've ever had, if people want to know how I've done it, it is I am the result of hard work over a very long period of time. That's it. So <laughs> if anybody wants to do what I do, like just be willing to put in the same level of work that I put in. Nah, he puts in the same amount of work. And for those listening, I'm talking to Tom Billy, who's co-founder of Question Trition and as, uh, Impact Theory, which is about igniting human uh, potential. And that's impacttheory.com. Do you? I hate this question, and I I hate this question because people ask me all the time. But I'm just gonna take a shot with you. Do you have a favorite interview? <laughs> um, they, I mean, sure. Like, there's so many for different reasons. So I'll give you a few. Um, okay. One uh, you mentioned earlier, Michael Strahan. He and I just really, really. Um, first of all, I've gotten to know him maybe better than. Uh, let me make sure that's true. Better than 95% of the guests for sure, just off camera. And so that interview was the result of already knowing him. Yeah. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. We could, we also really connect over the matrix. And so from a, just like personal obsession standpoint, he's just so, so much fun for me to talk to because he has the right mindset. Um, and his book really took me by surprise. It was cause it's so good and it's so real and so usable um, so I had a lot of fun with that. I just interviewed David Eagleman. So this one isn't out yet, but David Eagleman is a neuroscientist. Um, same with Moran Surf, who, uh, man, you want to talk about somebody that I only knew, like his is um, what he had put out into the world, like which was relatively little. Um, so that interview was not only me um, coming well researched, but it was me like super eager to learn more about what he was doing. And you can watch us. Um, I think it, it's pretty clear that we're both having a really good time in that interview. That was a lot of fun. Jason Silva's a blast. Oh, Jason Silva's um, I've blast, interviewed yeah. him twice. Yeah, he's amazing. And, and and I could go on. And the the key, the reason that it's you know really easy to talk about the ones that I enjoyed is I only bring people on if they've inspired me. Yeah. So it's it's not like somebody's rolling up to the show and I don't really know who they are. And you know, this is somebody that I've spent hours and hours and hours. Um, researching at, you know, at this point, I, you know, I'm listening to everything at two or three X. So it's like for me to spend 10 hours with somebody is the equivalent of somebody else spending like 30 hours. So you can imagine if you'd spent a week just living in somebody's universe, by the time they come on, it's, you're going to have a pretty interesting conversation. No, I'm glad. I'm so glad you're honing on that preparation aspect. So uh, it's, it's really, really, I think it's key. I think it's, you know, it's the mindset but you have to be willing to do the work. And you apply this to people that you, you hire, right? You, when you hire, I think you hire very differently at Quest. Uh, can you talk about the evolution of your hiring process? Because I think people used to be able to sit down and watch in because you had a very interesting, um, different way of, of um, getting to, to the meat of things when you were hiring. You almost hire a direct competitor sometimes. Yeah, I mean, my thing with hiring is I'm just trying to find out who the person really is. You know, and at the end of the day, it's like to do that, you're not going to be able to use the traditional questions that people are already prepared to answer. It's like you've really got to go beyond the resume. And my whole thing is I'm looking for three things, grand ambition, drive and compassion. Now, how do you figure those out in an interview? And I really think interviewing, by the way, is just a terrible method for getting to know somebody. I don't think there's any substitute for actually working together. If you work with somebody for a day, you'll learn more than you will in you know an hour-long, two, three-hour-long interview. It's like just being side-by-side, side, seeing how they handle stress, adversity, how they treat people. Like the, That would be my ideal. Like In my fantasy land, and this is, I think, 
people looking for a job should do this. Go work for them for you know two or three days, a week if you can swing it. So you know if you like them as much as they know if you you know are the right fit for the job. Um, so that'd be my fantasy. But yeah, the the weird stuff that you're talking about. The our interview process was super bizarre, especially in the beginning when we were hiring in the inner cities, because we had you know my thing is in life. I don't care who you are today. I just want to know who you're trying to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. Um, and that's, that's that ambition and drive. Yeah. And so we, we threw out into the neighborhood, look, we don't care if you have a criminal record. And so nobody ever hears that, right? If you've got a criminal record, man, like you're just set up now to struggle for the rest of your life. And so when we said, yeah, we don't care, we had people lining up around the building. Like they just wanted to be interviewed. <laughs> so it was really the first time that somebody just blatantly said, I assume you have a felony conviction. Come on in. Like, we don't care. And so then it came down to, am I good enough at assessing whether there's somebody with a felony conviction and they really are a bad person or somebody with a felony conviction that if you give them the right environment and the right shot, that they're going to crush it and they're going to come in and really try to get great. Um, and, and I thought that I was, and I thought that I could really read people and there's no question that I had anything but a 100%, um, success rate, but I had a high enough success rate that we found just some incredible human beings. Um, and, and, you know, some of the, the most amazing employees still at Quest were people that we hired back in those days. So it's, um, that like how to hire is, is, a you know, a master's level class. So I'm really not doing it justice here, but that's my thing. Get to the human. Find out who they are. Yeah. And one thing I'll add to that is in, in having worked in so many cultures and done business in that, I think everybody just wants the chance to be fully themselves. And if it sounds like you're given uh, these individuals, despite their backgrounds, a chance to express and come as they are, regardless of whatever their ambitions are, even if it's to be direct competitors of you, you're freeing them of the matrix, so to speak. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that's 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 pretty great. That's a great philosophy to have. Two more questions before we go to the audience uh, the audience questions, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Um, a question that I particularly have for you is, how can you one master the mind? Man, that that is an amazing question, and it goes like this. First of all, you need to start reading about neuroanatomy, and I have a list of the 25 books that I think any entrepreneur should read in order. Um, you can find that at impacttheory.com, and it really is about understanding the structures of the brain, how the brain works, and I became obsessed with this, and uh, it was David Eagleman, in fact, the guy that I just interviewed that um, first put this on my radar, that the brain is encased in total darkness and total silence, and yet through electrical, electrical chemical signals, it creates this world that you see. But when you're looking out at the world um, and it seems like you're seeing something over there, the truth is you're making that image up in your mind. And that is like the very definition of the matrix. Everything you see is not as it is. It is as your brain constructs it. And once I understood that and I understood that, hey, look, my brain is trying to help me. There's no question about that. I'm able to navigate the world without bumping into too many things. But the truth is it's making all this up and it's doing its best to fill in the blanks. And, you know, for anybody familiar with the way vision works, you actually have two dime sized um, blank spots in your vision where the optic nerve connects to the eyeball. And yet when you look out at the world, you don't see them. And it's literally your brain guessing at what's probably there and filling in the blanks. And so once I realized, okay, wait, my brain is making a lot of this stuff up. Is there anything it's making up that actually isn't beneficial to me? And the answer is yes. There's a crushing (laughs) amount of things that your brain makes up that are actually not beneficial and they hold you back. And that's where fear and anxiety and all that stuff comes in. And once you understand how the brain works, for me, just being able to visualize it, being able to understand it meant that I could take control of it. So learning things about the reward system in the brain and um, how fear, how anxiety works, the difference between the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system and how you can control them through breathing of all things. So it's like just really beginning to understand these things, using physiology to control your mind. Um, it's just, it's, it's, and none of this is woo woo, man. This is just like straight, simple science. Like this is how the mind body connection works. This is how you can really take control of that. And just understanding, you know, what we talked about earlier, neuro, neuroplasticity and knowing that I could gain new skills and what does that take and what does practice look like and what does effective practice look like? And then just putting yourself through that all the time. And then 
my one simple, if you remember nothing else I say today, remember this, always be reading. Always, always be reading. Be reading. A, B, like, yeah. get those ideas. ABR, ABR. Uh, um, uh, now, speaking of skills, this is the second question I have before that. You, you've said before that you think self-awareness is probably the most critical skill you can have, one of the most ones. How can one build this? I, I mean, it sounds very self-explanatory, but not many people actually have a, a good awareness of who they are. Yeah, so it all starts with beginning to learn to recognize um, the state that you're in. So if you're angry, recognize, oh, shit, I'm angry. Um, if you're sad, I'm sad, happy, I'm happy. And starting from that position, you really can work backwards to, A, identify what's the cause of that. B, is it the most effective emotion that I could be going through right now? And if it's not, how do I rapidly change that? And then just like also beginning to identify like motives and desires. A lot of times people don't know what's propelling them forward and really stopping and assessing like why you're moving towards something or why you're moving away from something. And, you know, one thing for me, because I switched my sense of self-esteem from being tied to being smart or being right to identifying the right answer faster than anybody else. So I'm willing to admit when um, my motives are petty they're based on insecurity, you know, and because looking at that and accepting that isn't going to damage my self-esteem because what I, what I'll be proud of is acknowledging it like, Ooh, man, you're acting this way because you're super insecure. And how do we address that insecurity? Okay. Well, wow. Now I, I see that insecurity is based because I'm really bad at that. Um, and so now, okay, I'm going to take the time to get good at that, or I'm going to acknowledge that it's not worth the energy and effort, and so that's just you know not something that I'm going to address. So since I choose not to address it, like spinning out of control over it just doesn't make sense. Mm. And being able to do that, being willing to look at that, stops you from being moved by these invisible hands. Because normally people don't want to look at it. They don't want to accept that their motives are impure or ugly. Um, and so they just let those emotions like push them forward and they end up doing really stupid stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I'll give you one example, arguing with people for an idea that you know isn't um, a good idea simply because it's your idea. And people do that all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's very, very, very true. And and that's such a great point on that. I think it's, you know, being able to acknowledge the simple things, things that make me happy, things that make me sad, things that make me angry, you can start to build on that. And, and that's uh, that's super um, important in your your personal growth. All right, so now it's time for the audience questions. And bear in mind, these questions could be all over the place, uh, Tom, but uh, I hope you're ready. So one of the questions that one of my uh, um, uh, friends asked was, what's the best workout for popping delts? (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) honestly, like there's so many people out there online that are putting out amazing content. Mm-hmm. that will um, give you said popping delts, I, I would hesitate to answer unless you think I have the greatest shoulders of all time. So if you think I am foolishly, by the way, <laughs> that I'm the guy that has the greatest delts, um, I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, lateral raises. I also do um, what, if you can imagine a lateral raise, but you're laying on your back on a bench yeah. and using cables, that I find just crushes the delts. Um, overhead pressing, I do a lot of that as well. Incline bench um, to round out the anterior delt, um, and then make sure you're hitting your posterior delts. You really have to hit all three heads: the posterior, medial, and anterior. Um, and then, yeah, do yourself a favor: find somebody that has the shoulders, or you know, this applies to anything in the body. Find somebody that has something that looks the way you want to look, and then ask them what they do. Um, because everybody's answer is is going to be different. All right, I hope you I hope you like that answer, Kay. Um, another of my friends who lost over sixty pounds in part due to your products wanted me to ask you this. He says, since many low carbers heat your Quest bars in the oven and turn them into Quest bars cookies, essentially, would your company consider developing a, a Quest cookie dough made specifically for bacon? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. We're looking at really ultimately revolutionizing the entire food chain. So um, absolutely. There's nothing on the horizon. right? And keep in mind, I'm not involved in the company day-to-day anymore. As of the time that I left, there was nothing on the horizon like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way they think. So I certainly wouldn't be surprised if at some point they started doing things like that. The mission statement of this podcast, my mission, if you will, my what got me out of the matrix, if we're, if we're going there, is – 
is use your difference to make a difference. That's the reason I do everything. That's that's the mission of of any company that I that I run. And I wonder if you could talk about how you particularly use your difference to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, my thing is really understanding my own mind and understanding my motives and being able to articulate that and explain to people how I've transcended um, a growth mi- or a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and trying to help other people do that. <clears throat> um, and and yeah, that's it. Like that's been my obsession for a very long time. I feel like I'm not that smart just from a raw um, ability to process data. And so because of that, like the wins that I get are often hard and I've really had to struggle with something to figure it out. But in that process, um, I'm able to understand all the steps along the way. And because of that, I can explain it to people, which I think um, makes me effective at being a teacher or a guide um, to help people do the same. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, Tom Bilio using his difference to make a difference by helping people go from fixed mindset to growth mindset. Well, this is the section of the show where this is this is where, where we wrap up. But I wanted you to talk to the audience if you have any one last thing to say where people can find you or, you know, a parting word of advice. And then we'll close. Yeah, you can find me at, at Tom Bilyeu. Uh, my last name is spelled B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. I'm hyperactive socially, um, so hit me up on you know YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're putting out content seven days a week on my channels, so yeah, dive in. And then as a parting piece of advice, I will say, do and believe that which moves you towards your goals, period. Do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Tom. This has truly been an honor. This is like interviewing one of my heroes. So this is great. Thank you for spending the time. Ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 